0: Up quick at about noon.
1: Well, we made it to a Friday, but given some of the news we got yesterday, just barely. Uh, Welcome into the June 19th edition of the podcast with Daniel Barling, presented as always by Vibe Hellfar with their three locations in East Sacramento, Oak Park, and Folsom. Hopefully, you noticed this is the second piece of audio that we've dropped here uh, on the daily feed. Uh, I dropped a Juneteenth bonus edition of Be Conscious. I had noted earlier in the week for Patreon subscribers that I released an episode of Be Conscious featuring Dr. Christopher Messer talking about uh, Tulsa and the Black Wall Street massacre of 1921. And I knew I wanted to do something special for today, and I wanted to do something special for everybody. Uh, Particularly, I'm I'm hoping people who don't subscribe to Patreon uh, listen to this Be Conscious episode. Uh, I hope maybe they get a feel for what we're doing over there on Patreon.com. Hey, if it gets a couple extra subscribers... Cool, I'll take it. But I really wanted you to hear the conversation that I had with Tyler Merritt. I actually uh, uh, recorded the conversations I had. The interview scheduled with both Dr. Christopher Messer and Tyler Merritt on the same day. Uh, They were actually within hours of each other. And my original intention here on this this Friday on Juneteenth was to release the Tulsa episode because there seems to have been so much interest in Tulsa uh, over the last, I I guess, few weeks. I don't know if it was birth from the from the watchman movie that, that uh watchman tv series that you guys have alerted me to or if it was something you know following what happened with george floyd that really seemed to galvanize interest in this but i thought you know let's 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 put this out there it's an educational conversation It it it, it really it it lays out kind of surface details of what happened we get into the weeds a little bit and we discuss some of the aftermath and and things that aren't you know widely reported but we we tried to just give you an overview of what event what that event was why it was so tragic tragic and why we think it's important for you to hear and then a couple hours later I had this conversation with Tyler Merritt and I knew 15 minutes in it was like oh man this is good this is a good conversation I'm really enjoying talking to this dude and if you don't know who Tyler Merritt is and you haven't listened to that uh, bonus piece of audio that we put out there for you uh, Tyler Merritt is the guy who did that video uh, before you call the cops you almost certainly saw it circulating around one of the social media platforms that you're on uh, over the course of the last few weeks. Um, but you'll hear that audio. You'll hear a couple of his other videos, uh, in there as well, uh, here in that, uh, interview that we did. So uh, if, if, if you would take a listen when this podcast is over, even if you saw it and you're like, ah, that ain't for me, take a listen. I really think you'll enjoy the conversation. There's a lot in there. We discuss a lot, of different topics including you know sides of the revolution, including the people who want to be dr. King and the people who want to be Malcolm X and how we can never seem to meet in the middle when we're all you know joining the same cause uh, it's it it, it it was a fascinating conversation we talked like we had you know known each other for 20 years we even had a follow-up conversation last night so I hope you'll give that a, a quick listen is as, as some of you may be familiar with again Something you might be learning for the first time, June 19th, is is, is a day called, it's, it's called Juneteenth, and it centers around the alleged end of slavery. We're all taught, right? The Emancipation Proclamation, we're all taught. Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves, and the Civil War freed the slaves, and all of that stuff, and the Emancipation Proclamation was issued in 1963. Slavery continued in Texas, because of course it did, until june 19th 1865 now when word reached galveston texas that all slaves in texas were to be three one third of the people in texas were slaves at the time one third and we all know how big texas is Um, and so that again for the second time allegedly marks the end of slavery so you've got the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863. You've got June 19th, Juneteenth, 1865, when the official end of slavery actually didn't come until December 6th, 1865, when the Constitution of the United States was ratified and, and, and the 13th Amendment to the Constitution abolished slavery entirely in all U.S. states and territories. Sort of. That's where you need to go watch the documentary 13th. That's where you need to go read the book, the new Jim Crow. So I'll leave that there. Hopefully you'll go check that out and we'll pick up. Well, we'll pick up where we left off yesterday, or maybe it's not where we left off, but we certainly discussed this yesterday. We got the details of Major League Baseball Players Association and and the, 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 the counterproposal that they put at the Major League Baseball owners yesterday. Now, depending on what networks you follow, depending on what reporters you follow, probably depends on what you read yesterday. But as we noted, no good can come about of this statement released by Major League Baseball and Rob Manfred saying, hey, we talked with Tony Clark. We're arm in arm. We're going to get this done. You know, a deal is imminent. We're, we're going to play baseball. Like, ah. Given the way things have gone for the last few weeks, this feels like a terrible idea. And that seems to have been magnified yesterday when news of the Players Association's counterproposal of a 70-game season uh, was made public. Tony Clark, the Major League Baseball Players Association executive director, says, We believe this offer represents the basis for an agreement on a resumption of play. Now, according to Rob Manfred, the two had had a conversation the night before during this lengthy meeting that Rob Manfred felt the need to tell us all about. Apparently, it was a four-hour negotiation in Phoenix. It was between Clark and it was between Manfred. And Tony Clark told Rob Manfred, we've got to get past the 60-game schedule. we got to get closer to 70. And Rob Manfred allegedly said, according to, check notes, Rob Manfred. Okay, according to Rob Manfred, he says, he told Tony Clark that day, ah, 70 games, there's no way we can do it with the, you know, the, the, there's no way we could do it in the, in the, in the time frame that we have, uh, with the health, you know, guidelines that we're expected to meet, but he proposed it anyway, 70 game season. Uh, here are some other notes, according to Jeff Passan of ESPN, 70 game season starts July 19th, uh, runs through September 30th. So I think there's some concern there about if the regular season runs till September 30th, that's going to lengthen the playoffs. You're probably going to have Major League Baseball playoffs at least until the very, 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 very last day of October, if not into November. Full pro-rated pay. I think that was something that they agreed upon for the 60-game return. Uh, spring training would actually start in a week. If, if this gets done, and oh, sure doesn't feel like it, it would start, spring training would start, at least for some teams, on June 26th uh, expanded playoffs, which we talked about yesterday. We got some more details on it. Expanded playoffs to 16 teams in the 2020 and 2021 season, a minimum pool for playoff shares in 2020 based on rounds played, uh, $50 million. If full payoff is staged, if full playoff is staged, excuse me, a 50, 50 split of incremental TV revenues for additional postseason games in 2021. Many of us know, um, uh, I think we talked about it, at least I hope we did, that Major League Baseball extended their television deals with the what used to be called the Turner Networks, like TBS teams. They've extended their their playoff agreements there to the tune of a lot of money, billions of dollars. Uh, Salary advance forgiveness for all players in Tiers 1 to Tiers 3 of uh, the March Agreement. Uh, Opt-outs, $10 million for social initiatives. Okay, that, I, I, that also reminds me, um, I need to play the clip for you of uh, black baseball players. They did a video very similar to what the NFL players did. They even had to go get a few retired black players to add some <laughs> emphasis to this video. Um, what else do we got? I think we've hit the major universal designated hitter. There's, there's an important note for 2020 and 2021. So across leagues, and then there's some other, you know, smaller details. There's enhanced housing allowances and spring training and regular season. So, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a couple of things in there. There's, there's a little bit more you know, bullet point details regarding what this potential season might look like and what this counterproposal, proposal for major league baseball will look like. But Rob Manfred said yesterday, this needs to be over until I speak with owners. I can't give you a firm deadline, but we, we need to, we have got to move on for this. We, we have to, we have to move on for this. And that's cool. Those are, those are great words. Why are you, why are, why, why I put this on. Of course I have faulted the owners for all of this, pretty much all of it. And I don't think I'm wrong in faulting the owners for this. But at the same time, Rob Manfred, who remember, and and sometimes I'm guilty of this. Sometimes I'm guilty of looking at Rob Manfred as some sort of like authority figure. He's not. He's no different than Roger Goodell. He's a puppet for the owners. He he, he does what the owners want. He takes the bullets for the owners, for lack of a better term. Like he's got to stand in there. in in, in front of the firing squad and, and deal with it. That's, that's his job. It's the same job that Roger Goodell has. It's the same job that Adam Silver has quite honestly, that's what they have to do. They work for the owners, but I don't, I still don't understand what, what, what necessitated putting out that statement, telling everybody that he had met with Tony Clark. I don't understand what, why, why that was necessary. I don't understand why they felt the need to tell everybody like, Hey, Look at what we did. And I get that you have taken you've taken a lot of bad publicity. You've taken it from from baseball fans, from sports fans, from baseball detractors. But you know what shuts down that all all of that bad publicity? You know what shuts down all that negative talk about your sport? Just releasing a statement that says, "Hey, we came to an agreement today. We're going to be back playing baseball on July 19th or July 20th or July 21st." Sure, you're going to get some people like me who are going to go, you guys really blew this. I'm glad you got it figured out. But dear God, you guys blew this. And even in this sense, like we said yesterday, these guys got to have an agreement. By the time our show takes the air on Monday, our figurative air, of course, these guys got to have an agreement because if they don't, how are you going to get through an entire weekend without getting this hammered out? How are you going to tell everybody? Well, we're close. And Tony Clark, of course, said yesterday yesterday, yeah, telling people that, you know, there, 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 there's a deal imminent is just terribly false and misleading. Like, oh, it's like you guys got along for for five minutes. It's like you hooked up with your ex. This is one night and like now you're out there telling everybody. And then you put out a press release like you change your Facebook status as I'm in a relationship. You post a picture of you two on Instagram. and The very next day, y'all fighting again, wishing you had never seen each other's faces. No, I can't relate to that. I'm just saying some of you might be able to relate to that. That's what this is. Tony Clark and Rob Manfred had a couple of drinks, hooked up one night, posted a picture on Instagram, changed the relationship status, and here we are. They're back at each other's throats after they told everybody they were getting back together. I mentioned that ad. I mentioned the the video that Major League Baseball players put out. Uh, Here it is. It starts with Aaron Judge.
0: We've been told that our peaceful pleas were not made at the right time. At the right place. In the right way. We've been told to wait. But we remember when Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. warned us that the word wait has almost always meant never. We will wait no longer. We'll make our voices louder for all of us who can and for all of those who could not. Eight minutes and 46 seconds is enough time to lift a knee. To do what is right. To say something. To
1: acknowledge the
0: pain of the black community. You have cheered for us, but we need you to cheer with
1: us now. When we need you most. Black lives, black lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. It's our cheer for change.
0: It's your cheer
1: for us. It's these cheers that will unite us. One team. One dream. Be the change. So the video starts and ends with Aaron Judge there. And I can't lie, some of those ball players. Some of them look to be in their sixties. I, I can't confirm that. CC Sabathia is in it. He looks great now that he's retired. Prince Fielder's in it. Giancarlo Stanton, of course. I, I don't know how many of these voices you recognize. Andrew McCutcheon's in it. He's one of my favorite baseball players. Uh, Adam Jones, David Price, just to name a few. Curtis Granderson is in it. There's a lot of there's a lot of ball players in it. It's just it caught my attention that CC Sabathia and Prince Fielder was in it because I immediately thought there are not enough black people to do this video. In Major League Baseball, and I am not trying to remotely even be sarcastic. I th- that was my that was genuinely my first concern, is they don't have enough active black players to do a video similar to what the NFL did, and then they show some of these other guys. It was like, jeez, these guys look like they're like they were retired in the '80s. Shoot, Harold Baines looks younger than some of these guys. I think Harold Baines did retire in the '80s. Now I'm being sarcastic. Uh, So that's where we're at with baseball. We'll see what happens over the weekend. They have got to get this deal nailed. They have got to get this fixed. This is just, I'm tired of talking negatively about them, man. I'll tell you who I'm not tired of talking negatively about, and that's Mike Gundy. I think Mike Gundy sucks. I think Mike Gundy has sucked for a long time. And a dude who walks around with a mullet in Oklahoma is using the N-word does not surprise me at all. What does surprise me is that we're hearing about Mike Gundy using the N-word, in a game in 1989, and it's I even at that I looked at it like well, not terribly surprising. What did surprise me though was the accusation came um, from multiple players. Uh, apparently, this stems from a game, one particular game. It was, I guess it was Oklahoma State versus Colorado. And there had been accusations for a very, very long time. I'm assuming since 1989 that Mike Gundy was freely uh, using the N word in that game when the uh, Colorado Buffaloes beat Oklahoma State 41 to 17. And there, I, I, Oklahoma State hasn't commented on it. Mike Gundy hasn't commented on it, but. Apparently, these, these, these allegations came you know, back to the forefront yesterday as one of the players from Colorado was talking to uh, the Oklahoman. And w- what I didn't realize is that these allegations have been out there forever. It's like, it, it, Again, it, it goes back to the, the way we ended our show yesterday. It's like the suddenly woke culture of, oh, I didn't realize that was a bad word. If Mike Gundy comes out and apologizes for using the N-word, Oklahoma State's got to fire him, like immediately. They got to fire him immediately because they got to know Mike Gundy's never going to be able to recruit another black player again. Specifically, Mike Gundy is never going to be able to walk into the home of a black family, particularly in the South, and try to convince them to come to Oklahoma State. Better yet, it might be better served to say that Mike Gundy is never going to be able to walk into the family, uh, to to the living room of a black family that's not in the South and try to convince them. Hey, come to Oklahoma. Come to Oklahoma State. It's a good place. What's Oklahoma State? Was that still? Is it? Stillwater, what is Oklahoma? What's the city that Oklahoma State is in? Yeah, convince, convince them to come there. Mike Gundy's 52 years old. I, this is a bad week for Mike Gundy, and I don't I don't know the last good week that Mike Gundy had, but this is a really bad one for him. And where this goes, uh, this will be interesting because Oklahoma State, I'm sure he makes a lot of money. Where Oklahoma State goes from here, they, they have to ask themselves these questions. When you're a, when you're a, a board of trustees or when you're, when you're the entity that's in charge of hiring, particularly a football coach, you've got to ask yourself, can this coach we just hired, can he relate to young people, and can he win over young people's families? Mike Gundy has had a seven-day stretch where the answer is becoming increasingly no. At least he's not going to be able to do it with black families and young black athletes in my opinion. Oh, I don't know what my opinion is worth when it comes to college football, when it comes to the inner workings of college football. So let's leave that Gundy situation out there. We'll just watch it. We'll see what happens. There's a couple of NFL stories uh, we're talking about as we roll along here on this Friday. Uh, One of them, not good, Debo Samuel, he underwent, uh, he had a Jones fracture and his left foot that occurred while running routes with several of his teammates in Nashville on Tuesday. I I don't know why, but I I feel the need right now in the the middle of this story to remind you that Gavin Newsom has put an, an order out there that we've got to wear masks in public. Please don't fight this. It's just a mask. It's not that big of a deal. It's really not. Look at it as a fashion accessory. Look at it as a pocket square or a matching tie. Just look at it as a fashion accessory. Don't, don't be one of those anti-mask people. Just If you're going to the store, just throw your mask on. It's not that big of a deal. It's really not. No one is trying to steal your rights from you. Just throw your mask on. Go to the store. Pump gas. Do what you got to do. Go back home. I, I encourage you not to go to a bar, which I encouraged you long before the mask data came out. This virus is spreading like crazy again which we all knew it would the second these states open don't fall for this nonsense of well it's widespread testing yeah absolutely widespread testing has helped but more people are getting this virus because the states are open all of those people who were gathered at shake shack like are you kidding me shake shack is that important to this city that you had to gather up out there and some of you were wearing masks or not some of you i don't know if any of you were there but some people were wearing masks which is good stuff if you want to gather up in large groups cool just throw your mask on. Go do it. Hang with the people that are closest to you. I'm not going to pretend like I haven't seen my friends since March. I absolutely have. But I stay with the group that I know that's going to protect the group. Like we protect our own. We're going to keep ourselves safe. We have designated times to hang out, but we ain't hanging out in public. We hanging out at the house. Just be careful. I don't know why that popped in my head. I am thinking I'm imagining Debo Samuel running you know, routes with his teammates right now. And I'm thinking, you know, when these, you know, what's going to be fascinating is this weekend, or actually I think it's Monday. So Monday NFL, uh, excuse me, NBA teams are going to start testing for the coronavirus. We have no idea what the results of these tests are going to look like. None. Like, I think we're all hoping, Hey, maybe these guys have been home. They've been responsible and it's not just players. It's, coaches, it's assistant coaches, it's media people, it's strength coaches, you know, physical therapy people. That's a big hope with the NBA. It's just a big massive amount of Bob hope that there's not going to be, you know, a catastrophic result from these COVID-19 tests. And again, you know, people have misunderstood a, a, a catastrophic result. It doesn't mean have the NBA is going to die. It means they are infected by this disease and or they are infected by this virus and it could easily be spread amongst teammates. And once it's spread amongst teammates, it's spread amongst um, basketball personnel. You know, there's a I wonder if there's a number coming out of Monday's test Monday. I think it's Monday and Tuesday coming out of, you know, the first two days of testing in the NBA where the NBA goes, well, this was a bad idea. Shut it down. It's over. Or do they do? I mean, is there a situation? Because I think that's what all of this built-in time is for, particularly for being in the home market. Because I was always of the belief that everybody should do what Toronto's doing: go straight to the, go straight to Orlando, go straight there, do all of your testing there. But I, but I, but I wonder, without any knowledge of their thinking, if they're doing these tests here in the home market, thinking, okay, if it's a, if it's a you know, a bad number, if it's a catastrophic number, we can quarantine all of these people within their their in-market homes. You know, the Kings can be quarantined within their, you know, places in Sacramento, even if it's the entire roster, the entire staff. They could be quarantined. They can uh, get healthy, get better, get retested before they get on a plane and head to Orlando. And I think you... You, 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 you avoid a significantly greater catastrophe if a large number of NBA players and NBA personnel test positive in this first round of testing in the next couple, you know, the next couple of days versus if a large group of NBA players and NBA personnel test positive when the plane touches down in Orlando on July 7th, then we got problems. You got to put the ring on, you got to put the bracelet on, you got to get. It was funny seeing NBA players talking about that ring that they've got to wear is some sort of tracking device. Like, yo, like, who cares? Even if it is a tracking device, like, who cares? Does it really bother you that much? It's not that hard to track you because you realize this is this is the NBA. If they really want to find you, they're going to be able to find you. Unless, of course, you've decided to leave your cell phone behind. Oh, it's a tracking device, man. Don't wear it. Wear it. And even if they are tracking you, so what? They expect you to be within the bubble. Don't leave the bubble. The metaphorical bubble. Don't leave it. Just, for God's sakes, get this season over with. Because the way COVID-19 cases are spiking and the things that I'm starting to hear from Dr. Fauci again, who Dr. Fauci only gets... uh, Mainstream attention now when he does like radio interviews or television interviews, because he can't get in front of the world and do press conferences anymore. Because the people who are in charge of those press conferences no longer like what he says. They're all hoping he says, "Oh yeah, it's getting better." And Dr. Fauci's like, "Uh uh-uh, uh, it ain't getting better." He even talked about the NFL yesterday on the Dan Patrick Show, talking about, "I don't know if the NFL is going to be successful in a non-bubble situation." If teams follow the model of what the NBA is doing, I think I, I think we'll be able to have sports. We'll be able to get these sports seasons off. We'll be able to fulfill these television contracts, and therefore athletes will be able to be paid. And teams will be able to pay. and Leagues will be able to be paid, and people will have their entertainment. But if we're just, you know, flying from San Francisco to Los Angeles to Las Vegas to Kansas City to Denver, it's, it's going to be a problem. Now, I always, like, I always ask, like, I assume because, you know, we as normal people who just can't call up our pilot and charter a plane. We associate, you know, when we think about traveling, we think about getting on, you know, Southwest and Delta and American Airlines. And if that's what these guys are doing, I would completely understand the concern. But their their actual in air travel shouldn't be a concern. You know, their pilots and their 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 flight crew should be isolated just as they are and should be working only with them during the during the NFL season. Now, I believe that's normal, by the way, for not only in the NFL, but also in the NBA, to have flight crews that are associated with your team. But the hotel thing is an issue. Because you would have to have the... the I'm sure that these hotels are, are booked. Like, I'm sure they're booked now. But how do, you, like, how do you deal with an entire NFL team checking into a hotel, what needs to be essentially a sterilized hotel. You can't, it it doesn't work. I mean, baseball teams or uh, uh, football teams have shared hotels with basketball teams before football players don't have the entire hotel to themselves. This isn't, you know, again, we go back to the bubble. Hell, even the, even, even, you know, the, the 22 basketball teams, they're spread across only three hotels. So this is this is NFL teams booking hotels with regular people. Well, you don't know what regular people are doing. You don't know what those hotel staff are doing. That's where the concern comes in. That's where the true concern has to be. There may be situations, and I know that this really isn't feasible. But I, I mean, if you're playing a game and yeah, it, as I'm starting to say, it it's not even feasible to travel day of. Like it doesn't it it doesn't work. You gotta have you gotta get there at least one night before. You really got to get there two nights before. I, I, man, I don't know. I think we see more COVID spikes in football than we do basketball. I think basketball, they're going to attempt to do their best to isolate everything. Not that I don't think the NFL is going to do their best. I just think there's going to be a lot more that's out of their control, especially if they're traveling with with the normal NFL schedule. And I believe that that's what they're going to do. I believe Florida is going to ignore everything that's going on with them. I believe Texas, who I think had a massive spike yesterday, I think they're going to ignore everything that's going on with them. And they're going to attempt to get some percentage of fans within their stadiums. They have these massive, massive football stadiums. Dallas, the, you know, the Cowboys, the Texans, they've got these massive stadiums, the new, Ve- the, 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 the new stadium in Las Vegas. I think they're going to try to fill it. I, I, you know Some states have said, oh, 50%, I think they're going to scale back from that given the recent spikes in testing. Maybe we talk 20 to 30%. And I think you hand out masks to everyone who comes. I told you I thought this would be dope. I also think it would be a dope visual. The new Raider stadium, everybody got a, a black, a silver and black mask on. Are you kidding? I think that would look awesome. But of course there are those people who believe that you're infringing on their rights as a red blooded American to not wear a mask in public, to not protect the people that are around you. Don't be that asshole, please. Just put the mask on. That was not where I was going with the Debo Samuel story. He's having surgery. Sure, you're all aware of that, but I wanted to make sure I finished the story. Debo Samuel is having surgery. Uh, it's it, it's indicated he'll be out twelve to sixteen weeks. Uh, he expects to be back in ten. I don't know why, but he does. So cool. Uh, he was the forty nine er second leading receiver last year with fifty seven catches. Um, he was their fourth leading rusher with one hundred fifty nine yards on the season. I don't know why I came across that stat and found it funny and wanted to include it. He scored six touchdowns. He's a beast, no doubt. He's going to be a valuable part of the 49ers offense. Uh, Hopefully he's back and ready to go. Now, the timeline says he'll be back, you know, for the regular season. I hope he's back, uh, you know, with enough time to ramp up, get some practice time, not rushing back his injury and his 100% by the time the season starts. I also got the alert, I'm sure many of you got it as well, that the Hard Knocks is covering the Los Angeles teams. And it was reported as if that was news. Didn't we already know that? I thought that that was confirmed months ago. I know we've talked about it, and, and sometimes I get confused when multiple alerts on a subject that we've already talked about start popping up. But Hard Knocks is set to start filming, what, like a month from now? And it doesn't appear that the NFL has any interest in in, in slowing anything down. They haven't even expressed the remotest amount of concern. I still, I, I continue to see stories about an extended face mask or some sort of it'd be silly to say protective face mask, some sort of virus protective face mask. I continue to see stories about that. I I'm I'm not sure if they're going to be able to have those done on a, you know, a widespread scale uh, before, what are we talking the the first week of September? Or I I mean, I guess really you would have to have those in camp, wouldn't you? But then you just take your helmet off. Like I, I get the, the on the field moments, but when you walk off to the sideline, you take the helmet off. So I, I don't know. I don't want to diminish the value in it. I think there's value in it for sure. I think there's great value in it. It's just, I, I the only thing that I feel like is going to work is, is, is if everything being shut down and I know that's not economically feasible, you know, businesses have lost so much money already, uh, through the course of 2020, uh, Jamal Adams trade requests in the NFL are one of my favorite things. Because they rarely, rarely ever go well. Jamal Adams has requested a trade from the New York Jets. This isn't news. Like, this is stuff that we've heard about. Jamal Adams has wanted his contract renegotiated. He's been posting on social media that the Jets are uh, a lot of talk and no action. Uh, he posted on social media, maybe it's time to move on. And now Adam Schefter is reporting that he has seven teams he wants to be traded to. Oh, Jamal Adams thinks he's in the NBA. We've got the Ravens. Okay, got the Cowboys, which is a, a team that's long been rumored tied to him, the Houston Texans, Kansas City, Philly, San Francisco, and the Seattle Seahawks. Okay, I'm going to guess, and this is just a guess on my part as an NFL fan, that the Jets have absolutely zero interest in trading Jamal Adams. And as we're all aware of, we have seen many, many times before, you request the trade in the NFL. The NFL will essentially stick its metaphorical middle finger up right at you. Like, what are you going to do? What's your all I'm going to do not play. Cool, bro. Don't, don't play. Cause you know, if you don't play fam, you don't get paid. And you've already got to watch your money in the NFL because your earning power is the, the, the time in which you can earn. It's so short. Guys can't afford to sit out contracts. Can't, can't afford to sit out years, I mean. Le'Veon Bell did, didn't. It didn't work. I don't know. I, I, like, I look at NFL players, and I feel like they keep going, well, I'm going to be the one. I'm going to be the one to break through this threshold, and I'm going to be the one who changes the way things are negotiated. No, like, you're not. If Le'Veon Bell couldn't do it, who arguably, when he sat out, was the best running back in the NFL, he changed absolutely nothing. I don't think the way that the Le'Veon Bell situation played out affected Ezekiel Elliott at all. I don't think it affected the way that Jerry and Stephen Jones approached that contract negotiation. I don't think it affected uh, Ezekiel Elliott's decision-making because ultimately you could look at Le'Veon Bell and go, well, it didn't work. You got off the Cowboys, you got off the Steelers, excuse me. You, you, you were able to get out of your time with the Steelers. You missed your last year and you were able to move on, but you didn't sign this. You, 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 you didn't, you didn't reshape the running back market like you thought you would. And I don't know that, I don't know that any running back is ever going to do that. You're going have to have, I, I, you're gonna have to have a running back who does multiple things amazingly well. You, you, you know what, as I think about it, the person I'm, you've got to be like Christian McCaffrey. You've got to be a guy who can get 1,000 yards on the ground and 1,000 yards in the air. And you can argue, is Christian McCaffrey more valuable than Ezekiel Elliott? Given what Christian McCaffrey does on, on two different... He's almost like a running back and a slot receiver. Like, what he's been able to do is pretty incredible. Once once the the, the Panthers figured out, like, how can we really get the most out of him? He's been fantastic. I think they were a little bit like, oh, what do we do with him? His first year, like, oh, what do we do with him? And then they then 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 they got going. He picked up, had a great second half of his rookie season, and then he had a phenomenal second year. He's unique, and you've got to be unique. I don't think that Christian McCaffrey is going to reset the, the the running back market. I think that position is going to continue to be devalued, and that has nothing to do with Jamal Adams. It has to do with the the culture of the NFL and the way this this isn't the NBA. This isn't the NBA where you say. I want to trade. I want to go to these seven teams, or one of these seven teams, and the trade eventually gets done. NFL players don't have that type of power. They have given up that type of power in virtually every single collective bargaining agreement that they've ever signed. What am I talking about? Virtually every single collective bargaining agreement they've ever signed. They just don't have that power. NFL teams look at this and go, Phew. Jamal, fam, you good? You a safety? You ain't a quarterback play football and at the end you know, this story always ends the same way unless the Jets are truly sick of him unless the Jets look at this as a situation where like we don't want this potential poison in our locker room and I never subscribed to that theory the day before training camp or even maybe a week into training camp Jamal Adams is going to go uh, I've decided it's best to return to football there's going to be some sort of lame statement he's going to go join the Jets and his last year with the Jets is going to suck. He's going to be waived and he'll go play somewhere else. I feel like we've seen this story a million times. We've seen it play out. What was the Can I mean, I guess, I guess Antonio Brown, but I, I don't know. I, I still don't get, like get why Antonio Brown wanted off of the Browns so desperately. Or I mean, wanted off of the, the the Raiders so desperately. But I'm trying to think of the last player who, you know, tried to publicly force a trade and got one. I guess it was Antonio Brown though. I'm not, I'm, I'm that whole, I don't know, including Antonio Brown in any conversation really. It's just doesn't seem like a smart thing to do. Trent Williams did it. How long did it take Trent Williams to get off of Washington? It took forever. 49ers were finally able to get him. But what player before the season starts, you know, we got a month before training camp ever said, you know, I, I, I want out. Send me to the Cowboys, Texans, send me to the Ravens of the Chiefs, send me to the Eagles of the 49ers, send me to the Seahawks. And the team just goes, oh, okay. Yeah, we'll go ahead and get that done for you, fam. Because, you know, once you publicly ask for a trade and once you start throwing out teams, you've automatically devalued yourself. If it was Jamal Adams who leaked this information, he devalued himself. There's no reason for the Jets to leak this information because... It devalues him. Suddenly it's like, hey, you've got a player who doesn't want to be there. We'll give you pennies on the dollar. It's not a hot commodity. You're not fighting to keep him. You could get a little more out of a team if both teams, well, no, we don't really want to trade this player. We kind of like him. And there are exceptions to that rule. There absolutely are exceptions to the rule. I always believed DeMarcus Cousins was an exception to that. Cause people thought that DeMarcus wasn't working in Sacramento. I always thought if you put DeMarcus on the open, open market and just said, yeah, we're open for business. Who's in. Cause it's not only, it's not only you negotiating. It's not only like in, in this situation, the Kings negotiating with say the Pelicans it's Boston realizing, Oh, okay. I'm in on this. It's the Lakers realizing, Oh, I'm in on this. It's a number of other teams who are now all negotiating with you against all those other teams to try to give you the best deal possible. This is not a situation where the Ravens are negotiating against the Cowboys and negotiating against the Texans and negotiating against the Chiefs and the Eagles and the 49ers and the Seahawks. It's just not a thing. It's just not it. Though I sure would like to see Jamal Adams in a San Francisco 49ers uniform. I would love to see Jamal Adams with the San Francisco 49ers or the Seattle Seahawks. The Seahawks year after year continue to. Yeah. What are the Seahawks going to be like? I, I don't know. What are the Seahawks going to be this year? And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, yeah, the Seahawks are dope. Seahawks can go. Hey, there's some uh, – I saw Jamie Foxx trending this morning on Twitter and thought, okay, well, what do we got here? He must have dropped an album last night. No, 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 no. Jamie Foxx has confirmed, and this has been talked about for years, but he has said is a, is a, it's official. He's in full-on training. He's going to be playing Mike Tyson, and he does – you know, as we, we know about Jamie Foxx, his Academy Award came playing uh, Ray Charles, which I thought was an absolutely fantastic movie. And we know that uh, Jamie Foxx uh, has the ability to take on a character like very few actors uh, on this planet. Here's a clip I found. I think this was with an old like Deadspin show or something where he's describing what he wants, that first scene of Tyson. You get like. to play the young mm-hmm. like Tyson. Luckily, the technology
0: on our side. Let me give you the opening of the movie. The camera is high, but not as high as the heavens, just above the trees, and it's snaking through New York, somewhere in New York, and it's cold, and people are unable to work. It's just one camera, and you hear focus mitts being hit in the distance, and it's just capturing, it's capturing regular day, blue collar people. You know what I'm saying? The hood. It's yeah. just regular. You know, people on their way somewhere, and then we get up to this boxing gym. We see the doors, and the camera stops, and you hear. the doors open magically, camera snakes in, and we see in the distance a hulking figure holding focus mitts and a little kid hitting the mitts. And you hear the kid asking the hulking figure, my dad said you were amazing. My dad said you was one of the best. You was boss. You was this, you was that. And you hear the person's voice. Don't worry about what your dad said. Just throw the right. Make sure you keep your left though. Get your head knocked off. And as the camera gets closer, you see that it's now Mike Tyson. No, but my dad said, I'm going to tell you one time. Don't, don't say anything about your dad. I don't care. That was back in the day. Just throw the left. And when you shoot the right, shoot it with, some, shoot it with authority. Shoot it like you mean it. And he throws it right, and he hits Mike, and Mike acts like he's falling in super slow motion. Ah. And when he hits the ground, ding, 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 he's back at the last fight. He got knocked out. Knocked out. Buster Douglas. And he, yeah, he's there. And as you see him, the last fight, he's on the ground, and he rests back on the ropes, and he sees everybody talking shit. Everybody saying, get up, Mike. Some people saying, you a bum. Some people saying all the things that people were saying because we were split at that time. And he rests back on the road, spits his mouthpiece out, and it goes calm. And you just hear And he's saying, I'm done with all of this. And all of a sudden, just as we relax into that moment, the ref comes up. One, two. Yeah. And we flash back to the young Mike type. That's how I
1: open. How great of a storyteller is that dude? Oh my gosh, Jamie Foxx is amazing. Jamie Foxx is one of the most talented people on the planet, if not the most talented person on the planet. Like, he is phenomenal. Tell me that, tell, tell me that opening sequence that he just described right there didn't get you hyped for that movie. Like, that's just, that, that, that's just absolutely amazing to me. Absolutely amazing! Like he, he describes it in such a way where you're like, oh yeah, yeah yeah yeah! yeah. I I, I got to see this! I, I I want to see this fight! I want to see! I want to see Mike Tyson! I, I want to see this movie! I want to see young Mike! I want to see old Mike holding gloves, you know, for some uh, uh, kid in 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 Catskill or some kid in Brooklyn or whatever. By the way, I don't think that um, his last fight wasn't against Buster Douglas. I know, I know that that's the you know the most famous knockout. Uh, but his last fight wasn't against Buster Douglas. Um, I'm actually trying to look to see who his last actual uh, boxing match was against. I know, I know he got knocked out by Lennox Lewis. I don't know that that was his last like official fight, but. I'm because I'm, I was trying to think is you know because the because the guy in the background goes yeah Busta Buster Douglas Busta Douglas it was like wait a minute Mike didn't lean against the ropes in in the in the fight against Busta Douglas like the, the I remember the I remember vividly the referee kind of like held him he he just kind of wrapped his arms around him and held him up and just said it's over Mike and like that's how the fight ended like he wasn't leaning up against any ropes I think what Jamie Fox was describing was Mike's actual last fight the very last fight he ever did, not the most famous knockout that he've ever he's ever had or the most fam- most famous knockout he ever experienced. So um, was Danny Williams, was that his last fight? I don't even know who, British boxer. Tyson was unable to throw him in. A, in, a, in a, you know, well, I don't know. It's not even that important, but I just wanted to play that clip because I was listening to it this morning and I was just absolutely in with like, man, dude, this... F- Jamie Foxx is a storyteller, man. He is a storyteller unlike anyone we've ever seen. We're going to go ahead and skip birthdays today, given that I've blown that process virtually all week. But on this day in 1984, the Bulls selected Michael Jeffrey Jordan with the number three overall pick in the NBA draft behind Hakeem Olajuwon and Sam Bowie. It was also in this 1984 draft that Devin... Durant was taken. Devin Durant was drafted on this day in 1984. Also on this day in 2016. to Back Up for the last, blocked by James. LeBron James with the rejection. Wow. Cleveland Cavaliers, this, this block is. Oh man. As we come up on a minute and a half remaining. Picked off by Igadala to
0: Curry. Back to Igadala to the rim. Blocked
1: oh, great block. James out of nowhere skies to the rim. He bats it away, and J.R. Smith recovers. He's got numbers balls. if he hurries. The Curry bounce pass, Andre to the rim. Goes up. Blocked by James from behind. And J.R. Smith got the ball. What a block by LeBron James. Came all the way back to knock it away. How comes Igadala? Two on one to find Curry. Get it back. Igadala puts it up. Oh, LeBron! Tracked him down and made the rejection. Huge, huge defensive play by the four time MVP. Is this, is this the most meaningful defensive play in NBA history? Is that, too, is that too much hyperbole? Like, can you think of another one off the top of your head? Like, I remember, was it Horace Grant maybe that uh, tipped a, a kind of a, it was like a Kevin Johnson runner after John Paxson hit that 3 in 1983. It doesn't have nearly the celebration that this does. It was far less dramatic. He just kind of got a he got a finger on it, changed the trajectory of it a little bit. But I'm trying to think of a more meaningful defensive play in NBA history than this one. There's got to be one that I'm just missing, right? 916-888-5898. That's the text line shoot it my way. 916 888 I, but if it's not, it's got to be close it's got to be close to the most I mean because you know we've, we we had Kyrie's three, we had Kevin Love stop you know the the block the what was it the 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 block the shot the stop that that's such an amazing final was it six minutes of that game seven to go back and watch it because you see everybody like tighten up. Everybody gets called, And I always reference this one shot Clay Thompson took from, Is it wasn't a three. I think it was just outside the elbow. It might've been a three, but I feel like it was just outside. It was like free throw line extended. And you could see him like, he's like, trying to will the ball into the basket like he should. Like, you know, you ever been on the playground? You're like, man, let me just get this one to fall. And he's like watching it. And he's almost like praying that it goes in and it doesn't. And both teams went so cold for the final six minutes. where I think Kyrie's three was the only shot that was made in the last, you know, handful of minutes, period. Like no other shot was made. It was, it, 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 well, besides LeBron's free throws at the end. But you know, 89-89 forever. Then you know, often forgotten that is that hard, that that foul against LeBron where he hits the deck super hard. It's a it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an amazing it's it's an amazing like six and a half minutes to go back and watch. Assuming, of course, you're not a you're not a Warriors fan. But hopefully, you're a fan of the podcast, man. I assume that's why you're listening today is because you're a fan. We thank you for your support uh, throughout this week. I hope you take the time to check out my conversation with Tyler Merritt that is available for you here completely free on the regular feed. Check it out. It is a Juneteenth bonus edition of Be Conscious. i wanted to make sure uh, that I put that out, out there for everybody. And I appreciate everybody who supports us over on Patreon.com slash Damien Barling. If you if you're not a supporter over there, if you're not a subscriber over there, uh, you can you know support the podcast just couple bucks helps us pay for hosting helps, helps us pay for advertising and all of that good stuff but if you want extra content you can check out our our be conscious feed you can check out our relive feed of course the new episode of relive which is an episode that i, I i'm really high on of, of all the episodes i've recorded so far it's my favorite one wrestlemania 10 the lex express the steroid scandal hulk hogan's departure from the wwe bret hart's uh, ascension up the card Uh, uh, sexual harassment allegations. I mean, there's so much in this one episode, and I really got like a good feel of what I wanted this Relive show to sound like. So if you're a wrestling fan, whether past or present, it's a documentary-style podcast. It's not a monologue podcast like this one is. I think you'll really dig it. I hope you'll really dig it. Go check it out. It's the third episode. We've got an episode featuring CM Punk versus John Cena in Chicago uh, at Money in the Bank. And our first episode centers around The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin at WrestleMania 17. So go check that out. Uh, Take some time out of your day to take a listen to my conversation with Tyler Merritt. It is here for you completely free. And if you want to see what we're doing over on Patreon.com slash Damien Barling, go check that out. You can connect all day, all weekend on our text line at 916-888-5898. Of course, we're available on social media as well at Damien Barling. on twitter and on facebook or instagram i'm not creative i just use my name for everything even my email address damienbarling at me.com if you want to hit me up appreciate you so much uh, for tuning in this week appreciate your support as always have a great weekend have a safe weekend put those masks on don't do anything stupid happy father's day to all of the dads out there and we will see you here monday on the podcast with damien barling